This is a reading from Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower in the fields. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Thank you very much, Nick and Sophia. It's difficult when we hear that particular psalm not to think of a particular song I'm sure you know the one I'm thinking about one by Matt Redman 2011 song 10,000 Reasons it's probably far too obvious a choice to pick for actually singing in the service this evening but certainly when I read the opening uh, verses of that psalm I always think of that song that he wrote bless the Lord O my soul O my soul worship his holy name sing like never before O my soul I'll worship your holy name. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. I know a lot of us love that song, and uh, we do sing it here now and then. Um, Perhaps sometimes it's a little bit hard for us to sing um, if we're not feeling terribly upbeat, not feeling terribly in the mood for exuberant worship songs. Um, But it's so good that that song, like its inspiration... Psalm 103, doesn't focus on our mood as the reason to rejoice. We don't give God great praise just because we're feeling great, because we're in a great mood, but because there are 10,000 reasons, as he says, to rejoice. Or as the psalm puts it a bit more prosaically, um, forget not all his benefits. There are 10,000 benefits, as a shorthand for an awful lot of benefits that the Lord has given us uh, to cause us to rejoice and praise him. It's quite a restrained way the psalm describes it, uh, perhaps a more a modernised version of the way Matt Redman describes it. 
Well, in these first few verses I'm going to focus on tonight, verses 1 to 5, we're going to see just six of those 10,000 or more particular reasons to rejoice and give thanks to God. Six amazing little pictures of God's goodness towards us. Six reasons to keep on singing, even when we're feeling down, if we're not in the mood particularly uh, for praise. Six reasons to think on God's goodness to us uh, forever. And they take place in six different venues. So we're going to go to a courtroom, a hospital ward, a prison cell, a throne room, a dining room, and the sky. And in all of those venues, God himself is the one who's doing good, who's taking the initiative in providing good things for us. He is the one, the psalm says in verse 3, who forgives, who heals. In verse 4, who redeems, who crowns. And in verse 5, who satisfies and who renews. So let's go to the first of those venues, the courtroom. Praise the Lord, my soul, who forgives all your iniquities. It's horrid, the feeling of having wronged somebody and knowing that you've wronged them and being out of sync with them. Creates a schism, a chasm with the person, a problem with your friendship. And it creates a weight on our own souls if we know we've done wrong to somebody and we haven't reconciled. This happened to me I very memorably at a summer camp I was at once, and I made a rather over-harsh criticism of somebody. I knew at the time, pretty quickly, that I'd been overly harsh. I knew that taking no action would lead to a spoiling of the friendship with that person, a spoiling of our relationship, and it would be a weight on my own conscience. Eventually, after a few hours, I plucked up courage, thankfully the same day. Uh, Camp is pretty short, so it has to act pretty quickly to resolve problems at it. So the same day, I took courage. I just went up to him and said, look, I'm really sorry for what I said earlier. That was too strong. I pushed him the wrong way. It was in the heat of the moment. And thankfully, he said, it's okay, don't worry. It's a shorthand for, I forgive you. What a relief that was to have that weight, that stain uh, taken away from between us. Or how much greater a blessing and wonder it is when God himself forgives us of wrongdoing, when he heals that chasm. Or as the psalm puts it, uh, when he forgives. An offence against God is, of course, much worse than an offence against a friend or against a family member or even against the state. It's the highest of crimes and therefore carries the highest of penalties. A broken friendship Uh, is bad enough, but a broken friendship with God leads to loss of life itself because of loss of access to the life giver. So when God says, I forgive, it's not just the difference between having a friend on earth or not, but the difference between having a friend in heaven or not and access to eternal life or not. It carries more weight than the verdict of any courtroom. And so When we hear those words, I forgive, the Lord forgives, then how much more we can praise the Lord, my soul. Let's go to the second venue, from the court to the hospital. Praise the Lord, my soul, who heals all your diseases. Still in verse 3. God himself is the great physician of our souls and our bodies. And for those who love him, he does ultimately heal all diseases, all problems with our bodies. Sadly, some, not until 
the new creation. But there is the promise, ultimately, for those who love and know him, he will completely heal us. Now, I had um, heart problems a few years ago. I was um, probably quite overworked. Um, This is when I was working as a a solicitor in London. Uh, I was probably taking on far too much. I had 200 active cases at the time. It was an awful lot of things to be thinking about. And I was probably trying to do too much with church at the time as well. And I got myself into quite a state, uh, quite worked up. And I had heart palpitations. I wasn't able to sleep properly at night under a huge amount of stress. And I was actually getting quite worried about the state of my own heart. And I actually went off to the GP and they sent off me to get an electrocardiogram at Homerton Hospital. And thankfully, they found there was actually nothing really wrong with me. I was simply stressed and overworked. And just them saying that to me was such a huge relief that I realised a lot of the problem was psychological. I'd been working myself up into a, a great state. That was a bit of good news from the person who'd done the ECG and from the GP. And so, of course, it's a very small-scale thing, given the, the, the nature of the problems that somebody in their 20s can face. Um, and, of course, often we'll face in life uh, bad news as well as good news in those sorts of situations. Um, plenty of times of bad news as well as good news. But whatever happens here, whatever happens in this life, we have one above who is the great physician who promises healing, who heals us as the psalm says in verse 3. And we can come to him with prayer for healing at any time, knowing that he cares and loves us, even if it's not his plan for us to heal us in this world, but in the next. We can trust in his great goodness. But one day, there will be the universal prognosis of entirely clear for all Christians, all clear, perfect health, and therefore praise the Lord, my soul, for that promise and that truth. From the hospital to the prison, thirdly, and we're into verse 4. Praise the Lord, my soul, who redeems your life from the pit. Prisons these days are not terribly bad, uh, unless you believe Ghislaine Maxwell's complaints. You might have been reading a bit about her um, worries about the Brooklyn penitentiary that she's locked up in in New York awaiting trial. Uh, She's talked about rats and constant neon lights keeping her awake and creepy guards who are looking at her in the shower. Um, Those are significantly lighter complaints than a prisoner in the ancient Near East would have had about their prison conditions. At the time this psalm was written, a prison would have consisted of somewhere, not where the odd rat was running around, but you would have been covered in rats and vermin. There would be a terrible smell, overcrowding, darkness, and uncertain justice to be delivered at the end of it. The best hope in that situation for a prisoner in Israel would have been a ruler's favour, the uh, help of a friend in high places, and perhaps even a royal pardon. Royal pardons are something that are occasionally given out these days. Uh, Stephen Gallant, a year or so ago, was given a royal pardon when he intervened in that attack on London Bridge that happened, and he was uh, relieved of part of his uh, prison sentence for having committed a murder. Rare occasion these days. It used to happen a lot uh, more in Britain. So 1717, King George gave uh, a huge royal pardon to all pirates. He said, if you turn yourselves in, you'll be relieved of all accusations of piracy, and you won't be sent to prison. A massive amnesty for all pirates. Well, it was that hope of a royal pardon, that sort of blanket delivery um, of 
um, excuse that would have been hoped for by prisoners in the pit back in the ancient world. Unlike hospitals, I don't have a personal experience of being in any sort of prison, uh, whether that grisly sort of ancient prison or a modern, nicer prison. Not as a prisoner myself, anyway. I've been to do a bit of prison ministry, but not there uh, as a prisoner. The closest equivalent I've come to was being on the naughty step at school uh, a long time ago, I'll hasten to add, uh, when uh, I might have committed some minor transgression. And uh, I was relieved at some point by a teacher coming along and saying, OK, you can go along now. You've been released from this pit, as it were. And what a great feeling that was, that tiny, tiny little release uh, from uh, incarceration, as it were, uh, to be delivered. Uh, how much greater to be delivered out of real prison and how much greater than that to be delivered out of spiritual prison, which is what God does for us. He releases us from the spiritual pit um, that we create through our own transgressions. We deserve to be in that pit. None is good, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We lock ourselves into that pit of condemnation. But God, his free gift is to set us free and to rescue us from that pit and lift us up. So praise my soul for all his benefits, including rescuing us, lifting us up to the pit. And lifted up, not just to street level, but now to a throne room. Uh, Continuing in verse 4, praise the Lord my soul who crowns you with life, love and compassion. Uh, I quite enjoy in sermons occasion doing a bit of show and tell of my favourite books. Uh, You might have picked up on this by now. Uh, So tonight's book is The Coronation Service of Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, Quite a special book from 1953. Uh, This I picked up in some sort of second-hand bookshop at some point. Uh, possibly in Wales, and uh, it goes through the entire coronation service that happens almost 70 years ago uh, when the Queen was crowned in Westminster Abbey. There's a lovely little moment of it I'm going to read out to you, uh, which hopefully helpfully illustrates this bit of the psalm. Part 11 of the coronation service is the putting on of the crown. Then the people shall rise, and the archbishop, standing before the altar, shall take the crown into his hands. And laying it again before him upon the altar, he shall say, O God, the crown of the faithful, bless we beseech thee this crown, and so sanctify thy servant Elizabeth, upon whose head this day thou dost place it, for a sign of royal majesty. And then the queen still sitting in King Edward's chair, the archbishop assisted with other bishops, shall come from the altar, and shall reverently put it upon the queen's head. And then, importantly, the princes and princesses, the peers and peeresses, shall put on their coronets and caps, and the king of arms, their crowns, and the trumpets shall sound, and by a signal given, the great guns at the tower shall be shot off. What a scene. That's a little bit like what's going on here. Jesus is the king, of course. He's not giving us his crown, but he is giving us a crown. We are um, crowned with him, uh, after him, as those peers and peeresses and princes and princesses are crowned after the monarch takes her crown in Westminster Abbey. Crowned not with the ultimate authority of heaven, as he has, but instead, as the psalm says, with life and compassion. What an amazing experience it would be uh, that once in a lifetime 
chance of being there in Westminster Abbey turned into a great throne room for the occasion with 3,000 people sitting there, all the grace and the good of the land, uh, to be crowned. Obviously, in that little service in Westminster Abbey, the Queen herself can't go round all, uh, however many hundreds of peers there are and crown them all. But the reality is that she's the source of honour. She's the one who's granting the crowns. Uh, So, in a sense, she could do that. And that's exactly what uh, Jesus does in this psalm for us. He gives us that life and compassion. He crowns us. Of course, that ceremony lasts for a moment, sadly, and then it's gone. And the thing it represents, that honour, it represents only lasts for one lifetime. How much better the eternal crown of glory that Jesus gives, which lasts forever, will not fade or rust away. So praise the Lord, my soul, who crowns you. And now we go, in our fifth scene, from a coronation to the coronation banquet, one could say, perhaps at Westminster Hall, across the road. Praise the Lord, my soul, who satisfies your desires with good. Our most common desire is hunger. We experience it a few times every day, don't we? And uh, certainly after a three-hour service in Westminster Abbey, I'd expect you're feeling very hungry. Uh, I certainly would be. Uh, On Christmas Day this year, I'm expecting to be quite hungry. I'll be uh, helping out with the morning service here on Christmas Day and then driving for a couple of hours back to Oxford to my aunts, uh, who will be laying on Christmas lunch. And uh, I don't know, maybe about 2.30 we'll eventually sit down to Christmas lunch. And that will be a wonderful satisfying of desires, I hope and expect, uh, given her past record about Christmas lunches. Uh, There'll be all sorts of things like winter vegetable soup and homemade bread and terrines to start with, and then obviously the turkey and all the trimmings, the carrots and the potatoes and the sprouts and so on. Three types of stuffing normally. Short intermission to watch the Queen at 3pm, give her broadcast, absolutely essential for Christmas Day, before returning to the table for a full round of puddings. Uh, Christmas pudding and Christmas cake and hard sauce and trifles and all sorts of chocolatey things and trifles and all sorts. Yes, it'll be wonderful. So praise the Lord, my soul, uh, for Christmas lunch. But praise the Lord, my soul, all the more for the satisfying of our desires uh, in a spiritual sense. How much greater the heavenly banquet more than the earthly banquet of Christmas Day or the coronation day itself, the heavenly banquet when the Lord Jesus returns. That wedding feast of the Lamb will be the satisfaction of all our desires. And so praise the Lord, my soul, let us preach to ourselves. Praise the Lord, my soul, who satisfies your desires with good. And then to our final venue, the sick venue. Not one on the earth, but one up in the heavens. And we turn our attention to the sky at the end of verse 5. Praise the Lord, my soul, who renews your youth like the eagle. Why the eagle? The eagle is, I suppose, a sign of a strong and a steady bird, the top of the avian food chain, one who seems so full of vitality. Renewing youth, uh, the youth perhaps of the eagle, is something that is quite a quest for the modern world. How many products are there out there that try to hide aging or even reverse aging by some means? A whole industry set up to fabricate the appearance, at least, of youth, if not the reality. Likewise, lots of our fiction is focused on youth, the achieving of eternal youth, the renewing of youth. Uh, Just off the top of my head, three recent-ish films that came to mind with 
devices and mechanisms that renew youth. Stargate in 1994 with that machine that renews the the aliens, or Elysium in 2013 with that magic health device that everybody wants to try and get up to in orbit, Uh, or Jupiter ascending in 2015 with the magic goo that the people go down into and they come up renewed in youth. Um, I'm sure there's many, many more examples. It's the object of so much uh, fantasy and desire, the renewing and achievement of youth. But the thing is, there is a real age reversal cure, isn't there? There's a real uh, renewing of youth rather than a fictional one. And that, of course, is the gospel. The gospel by which we are renewed and raised up like eagles and given youth again. The new creation will not be a divine care home full of elderly Christians with their Zimmer frames. Certainly many who will have gone to glory at a great old age, praise the Lord, But they will not remain like that forever, thankfully. There'll be a huge party instead of those who have been renewed in youth. Humanity as it was meant to be before the fall, before the curse came upon us with ageing. So praise my soul, the Lord, who renews your youth like the eagles. A sure and certain hope to look forward to. We've just looked briefly there through six of the reasons to tell our souls to bless the Lord, to praise his name, to keep on singing. As Matt Redmond says in his song, there's a whole lot more, 10,000, shorthand for an awful lot. May we never forget them. And even in those low moments where it's very difficult to sing those upbeat songs, let's preach to ourselves some of those reasons to praise the Lord. Remember perhaps some of those venues we've thought about uh, or others and remind ourselves of how many good reasons, how many wonderful reasons to praise the Lord, how many facets there are to the gospel of grace. Shall we pray? We praise you, Heavenly Father, for all your goodness to us. Make us, we pray, mindful of those means, even in the good times, even in the bad times, when we're feeling up, when we're feeling down. Praise you, Heavenly Father. Cause us to think of the endless facets of the gospel. So lift us up like eagles to sing your praise now and forever. Amen.